Unloose the goose. We'll take no views. Your paradigm's run out of time and we've got no use. Unloose the goose. We are now live. Welcome everybody to Unloose the Goose, episode 39, where we're going to be discussing cryptocurrencies and how it is both an empowerment tool for economics and to take the control of your life back and accountability in the true agorist fashion. Um, today we have some of the flock, the, the, the Unloose the Goose flock and some, some personal friends. We also have, of course, the illustrious Sal Mayweather, uh, and also John Bush is joining us right now as well from, uh, Freedom Cells. And of course myself, Xavier Hawk and our guests tonight from the audience of all of you wonderful flock is Keith, Eric, and Crypto Fredo. And what's really cool about tonight's episode, as we're going to be talking about crypto in general, um, is we have varying levels of expertise here. We have some who are brand new newbies, some who have been dabbling for a couple months, and some who, like me, have been here for, you know, many, many years since 2013. So the, the first question I'd like to put to Sal and or John, John, if you're are you in here, John? Yes. I'm here. Welcome, welcome. Can you hear me? Yep, yep. And cool. we can see you. Perfect. So All right. we're gonna we're just gonna say, what are your hottest crypto choices right now, John, Sal, and then we'll go down the line with the with the flock. John, you, you John, you want, I'm pretty sure John and I are on the same page. So you want to take this one? What with Bitcoin Cash? I know that's where you're going with that one. <laughs> um I like Bitcoin as the reserve, even though I recognize that Bitcoin has its weaknesses. But at the end of the day, it has the network effect. It has the exposure. And if the goal is wealth preservation or growing wealth, it is the coin that has institutional support. And that's one of the biggest drivers of, of price growth. Uh, same thing with Ethereum, like Ethereum, although both of them have hangups. They're having major scaling problems, right? Okay. I also like Bitcoin Cash mainly because of its utility. For a while, Bitcoin Cash was really struggling to break out of a little, you know, $500 range, but now it's up to a thousand bucks. So hopefully people are actually recognizing that it has utility and maybe as the space matures and people aren't just like experimenting or buying with their PayPal account and they start to actually use Bitcoin. They're like, wait a second. I want to buy a $80 product. It cost me $20 to send that, that transaction. And they're like, well, what's this Bitcoin cash thing? Maybe it'll start to have more gains. Um, I like the potential for Cardano, which is great. And then of course, Monero is hot. And I know Pirate Chain's one. Arr, it was a sleeper, but I think it's woken up. So Pirate Chain has a lot of really good, uh, Utility when it comes to privacy. So those are some coins that I'm interested in at the moment. Are you touching any like scam coins or shit coins? Like what? Like Dogecoin? No, at this point, I don't even consider Dogecoin a scam coin. I mean, it's just like a, it, it started as a meme coin and with the hype of, uh, Elon, Elon, it's really been taken off. And like we're at 67 cents, you know, right now, like nice. insanity, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I have been dabbling in unknown coins and I've had some of my biggest returns on those. Right. Nice. Um, which is and I'll talk about those a little bit later. But so are you touching any scam coins or like, you know, penny stock cryptos, John? I just I wish 
I, I just struggle with it because I know if I were to sit in front of like two or four computer screens right. and trade all day, I think I could be making a lot more money than I am. But right. every time I like, I'm watching a trade, I notice the consolidation, like with Dogecoin, for example. I'm like, oh, there's some textbook consolidation. It's all right. getting hot and stuff. As soon as that breakout happens, this would be a good opportunity to trade this coin to get in. And then I go to sleep and I wake up. And it's already broken out. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to get in on this giant green candlestick. So yep. I'm not doing that so much, but I do think that there is merit in it. But you just have to have the time to focus on it so you don't end up getting stopped out or, or losing your ass. But, so right. I'm not doing that right now, but I definitely appreciate that tactic. And it's it's it can be a lot of fun. Especially awesome. Awesome. Sal, what about you? I know you're a Bitcoin cash maximalist. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not a maximalist of anything. Um, a maxi pad? Sorry. No, no, no. Uh, I, I'm. <clears throat> I'll tell you what. I've got, I've got some interesting takes here. So I think, I think eventually people are going to get tired of the high price on Ethereum, and I think that they're going to you're going to see a, a pump in, in Ethereum Classic. So I think that if you're out to just make money, I think it's probably a good buy. I got. Um, a couple tips like years ago in, in Dogecoin. I think I got like two or three tips and I ended up with like 900 Dogecoins. And I just checked my wallet. I have about $500. I can't believe it. Nice. The dollar, the U.S. dollar has become such a joke that right. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's like, what do you say? It was 67 cents X. I mean, that, that's yeah. a joke for fiat currency. Um, BCH is, is, is at highs right now. Um, BCH. We're at like 12 or 13 or 14, somewhere around there. It went back down to 61 cents, sorry, but it was at 67 this morning. BCH right. went to 61 cents. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 not for a bit. Um, yeah, so that, I'm also bullish on that because I think if you look at uh, charts recently, more USD value is being transacted on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain than on the BTC blockchain now, despite being like 57 times less in price. Yeah. Uh, and two more, two more ones I like a lot are Dash and Monero because I think – as the state starts to clamp down, and I've said this before, uh, you're going to see a sort of rush out of pseudonymous chains and into anonymous chains. And Dash really has the leg up here because, uh, you know, you can buy and sell on a lot of the major exchanges, whereas Monero you can't. So those are my five tips. Ether Classic, uh, Doge, Bitcoin Cash, Dash, and Monero. Are you uh, – forgive me for not being knowledgeable enough in Dash. I don't know that it's a privacy coin. I know Monero – you're right. I agree with you. It's not, but yeah. most people think it is, and that's going to drive up the price. I think you're absolutely right. It's just yeah. really just a glorified coin mixer that's sort of built into the protocol. But yeah, it's private send. So right. Eric is uh, Eric has been in the crypto space. He's one of the flock. He's been in the crypto space since I have, like in 2013. Um, so Eric, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, and maybe you can tell us your favorite picks or the things that you really look at when you're looking at cryptos. Well, I got in in 2013. I was working as a uh, home theater installation technician and decided that I should invest in something and uh, put a thousand dollars in 10 Bitcoin. So nice. It was nice. And then I decided that I should try to grow that amount. So I had invested in a few uh, stocks through um, through a stock exchange that was completely Bitcoin based. Yeah. Uh, and one of the stocks was ASIC Miner, um, which was doing really well at the time, yeah, it was. paying out huge dividends. And so I had like, I think around 26 Bitcoin at one point. 
and sold off a whole lot of stock and bought a bunch of miners from them yeah. uh, through a Winnipeg company. And then, you know, didn't recover that, that Bitcoin through uh, mining. So <laughs> learned yes. a lesson. It's a yeah. tough one. Yeah. yeah. Mining is something you have to constantly reinvest your, your capital and sell off your old hardware. I saw a group that just got like a couple million dollars worth of mining rigs and are like on TikTok, right? And they're like, we're going to make millions of dollars. And I was like, it's like, yeah, you're going to make some money, but yeah, the, the, the tech develops so quickly that the, you, by the time you put the money down on a mining system, they've already developed a new one. And the time that it takes for you to get that mining delivered, if you you get it right you know like i invested yeah. in a couple of helium miners because i'm like let's try it out why not you know it's like uh or mine on radio waves you know it's a really cool concept and i, I just want to play with it you know but <clears throat> yeah the tech the tech cycle is uh the tech development cycle is, is pretty uh rapid so but you do um you do invest with different cryptos now right yeah i, I had i had gone from you know that down probably down to about one Bitcoin or so. And then I got into some uh, interesting in 2014 or so, just some interesting uh, new coins that were coming out and stuff like that. And uh, recovered quite a bit of it through, you know, the, the cheap coins and having a lot of them and then they grow a bit and you can sell them off and get back in the game. So uh, that's basically where I am now. I had to sell off my Bitcoin during a, a sort of, Boating a accident. terrible time to sell it off. <laughs> right. Very, like, very low price. 2017. But, yeah. 2017, 2018. So, uh, 2018. but that was just because I had a, a daughter and, uh, Life and necessities and, you know, I had an, a work injury. So that was a, a problem, but I had the Bitcoin. So, you know, yeah. saved my ass then. Thank God. Right. Yeah. Work, yeah. It worked out, but now I'm in the position of rebuilding that stack again, which is totally possible. Totally. And, and, and the way things are moving right now, it really mirrors like the stock market in, I mean, if you look at the stock market, not the crypto market, but the stock market to 1929, it's tracking exactly the same. And we're right at the tip peak of where it crashed in 1929. So just echoes from the past. I personally think we're going to see that and feel that in the crypto markets, but we can talk about that later on in the episode. I want to give Mr. Fredo an opportunity to introduce himself, Mr. Crypto Fredo. He also is one of our flock and uh, saw the, the, the message on the telegram and, and joined quick enough. Um, so what, tell us about yourself, CryptoFredo. Are you uh, diversified in coins? What are your favorite picks right now? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I like, like I said, only been investing for about a month. Relatively new to crypto, but I've been investing with securities for a while longer and been just trying to learn a bunch. Um, kind of an idiot when it comes to stuff and my risk tolerance is kind of like, Oh, just throw money at it and see what happens. Um, <laughs> Sometimes in the crypto market, that's oh, amazing. That's how you want. I don't know if it's uh, been very effective. Um, right now I'm up, but who knows? I'm, I'm very diversified. Yeah. I've, I've basically bought into XRP, uh, like ripple, um, a little bit of Bitcoin, Ethereum kind of, let it rise and then sold into different coins to just like broaden my portfolio. Cause I, I just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm just, there's so many choices and so many different ways that I can diversify and spread out like kind of the tendrils into the crypto space. 
Um, so I'm still very much learning. Um, very excited to be here. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to contribute because I don't really have a lot of knowledge of crypto, but. Um, no, great. We're, we're going to, we're going to get you guys to ask a couple questions here in a little bit. Um, okay. we're just kind of getting the discussion rolling. So it, it's really cool. So are there any kind of coins that are your favorites right now that you, that you like looking at and, and dealing with? Um, yeah. So I think I've been a couple of coins that I've looked out for is Adam. Um, I think is a really cool network, um, and an ecosystem that it can, can build itself off of. Um, I kind of caught on late to the Ethereum hype train. So I, I did invest a bunch there recently. Um, on a dip, but then it rose and dipped like eight different times in the same day. So you're still early uh, for Ethereum, like it, it really is. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, that's what I'm hoping. I'm just like I'm the kind of guy that has zero patience and look at my stuff like 20 times a day. I'm like, why isn't it going up? What the <laughs> heck, man? <laughs> right. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited that I have been investing so much money because I I've a lot of faith that this is the future of everything. So. That's um, a very good yeah. statement. It really is. It's the future. Hell, of yeah. And it's still okay. pretty early, even though it's starting to puncture into the mainstream. Still, a lot of people don't really have it. And then yeah. eventually it's going to be the underpinning of not only the financial world, but all sorts of different systems, um, right. re- rebellious systems and technocratic systems alike. Right. But it's, it's well, here to stay. I, I've been, it's been funny to get the perspective of like quote unquote boomer investor because that's what my father is. He's mm-hmm. been investing in securities a lot and he has like a, a pretty good portfolio, but I keep like yelling at him to buy Bitcoin and he's like, all right, when y'all, you, you have fun with your coins over there and I'll just <laughs> stick to my securities. Dude. He like complains at me that all of his stuff's going down. I'm like, just buy Bitcoin. It only goes mm-hmm. up. I, I did that with my mom too. And I had her, she was going to put like a, you know, a good chunk and we had the Coinbase thing starting and like I was, I was walking her through it and I'm like, okay, now all you got to do is attach your bank account. And she's like, what do you mean I have to attach my bank account? I'm like, well, yeah, I got to buy it. And she's like, I don't even use Amazon. I don't like anybody knowing my car. Uh-huh. And, oh, my and this is, this was like five months ago when like it didn't, it hadn't rallied up like into the fifties. It was still maybe at like 20 something. And, um, yeah, she came back later and she was like, I should have listened to you. <laughs> I, I used to pay. My pops used to work with me at this underground libertarian bookstore I ran, and I would pay him on some of his shifts with Bitcoin. And this right. was back in like, I don't know, 2016 or so. So right, right. he held on for dear life. So that's a good place. And then my family, like for Christmas, I would give them usually like 20 to $40 worth of Bitcoin on a little paper wallet. And it was like 0.05 Bitcoin or 0.025 Bitcoin. Now it's several thousands of dollars. My little brother's like, hell yeah. Thanks, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I gave that to my my stepdaughter like in 2015. Right. And, um, and I think she, she lost it or lost the Coinbase. We went through the whole process of getting the Coinbase account back and she had already, you know, spent it a long time ago. It would have been like 10 grand or something now. Um, so we also have Keith on with us, who's a brand newbie into crypto and probably has some really good questions for us. He's already asked me a little bit about MetaMask and, and um, you know, some of the processes there. So, Keith, you want to introduce yourself and kind of give us your 8-bit background? Yeah, my name's Keith. Um, 8-bit meaning I've been in computers since the beginning. I used to run mainframe computers when I was um, like probably 12 years old, maybe earlier than that. Both my parents were data processors. Uh, East Coast, um, New York. My mother's from New York. Um, anyways, 
So I'm out of work. Um, I'm kind of like Eric at this point when he first started and the whole idea of I'm left with what I'm left with and which mm-hmm. direct, you know, I can only go up because I'm at the bottom. I told you I'm in California. Yeah. <laughs> the deep dark born and raised and I'm a, I'm a patriot. So, you know, I've been getting beat up most of my life. Um, <laughs> so understanding the whole inter- internet and the, the volatility and the lack of security and how things can happen really quick. Yeah. And, and most of it in a bad way. Um, that's what it's been used for the whole time, really. Um, and crypto. So I'm, I'm about 4k in w- with, um, uh, the silver squeeze right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, so half's a kind of digital international and, um, the other thing is here, um, local, but I don't know how to get started. Um, you know, I've been to the meta, you guys are talking about Coinbase, um, the, um, Blockchain technology that's being used now has really brought me into the scene. Like I feel like, um, with the quantum level stuff that's coming in, there's a, you know, protected, so to speak, the containering, how transactions can be done and not be messed with, you know, and, and the whole mining bit when it started up, the reason I didn't get in is because of volatility, the noting, the, the mining, um, Knowing that a lot of this stuff's under a dam right now. And yeah. I'm a computer kid, man. I wanted to make a new computer this year and I couldn't because the miners took the freaking video cards. I was <laughs> upset. <laughs> Literally, yeah. that was my passion. I wanted to do that. So that's when I became aware of what was happening. And that's why I'm like, okay, now I'm aware of the technology. I'm comfortable with it. Now I just want to get started. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm ready to jump in and I don't know really where to start. Well, this is awesome because we have, like I said, we have a whole gamut of people here who understand and have been in from various points. So, and I think it's good that you're in here because there are a lot of people in the audience who are also in the same position, who don't know necessarily how to use a wallet or how to attach a MetaMask and and put coins in a MetaMask, right? So how about we just get into that? Um, You're familiar with Coinbase, yes? Um, I heard you guys talking about it. I knew it was just another finger, as you say, off of the... The Ethereum, Ethereum, um, the yeah, so Coinbase is a, is a wallet system and an exchange. They're one of the biggest, they just went public and IPO. Um, and they haven't been doing well, by the way, which is interesting. Uh, I thought their stock would go like skyrocketing, but it has actually just dropped considerably. Um, but they are one of the biggest, most well known names in wallets, right? Wallets and they have an exchange. Uh, they have an app. And you can attach a bank account to that and use fiat from your bank account to buy crypto. And that's a really good starter way. Um, so is like Robinhood, from what I understand. The, guys, do you know if Robinhood, if you can take your crypto off of Robinhood? I'm not sure, but I would just all the stuff that happened with all the stonks. And then yeah. apparently it just crashed because of all the doge trading. So... <laughs> Usually when you do an exchange, you have a non-custodial wallet and a custodial wallet. Non-custodial wallets are those wallets where no one else has access to your private keys. Each crypto address has a corresponding private key that unlocks access to the cryptocurrency on that address, allowing you to send it. And so when you have an exchange account, it's a more often than not, unless it's a decentralized exchange, which is really super cool, it's a custodial wallet. And so it's okay to go into one of those and then to to, to onboard and get your crypto and then send it to a non-custodial wallet. 
but I would caution against Robin Hood just because they like froze everyone's stuff when it was yeah. really undermining the hedge funds. And I would, yeah. I would stay the, the hell away from it. Coinbase is reputable. The only downside is, of course, you have to do know your customer check. So if you're a privacy guy, then that's, that's not good, but it's super reputable. You can get your coins. They'll give you your coins when they say they're going to give the coins. Then you can pull them off really easily. So I would avoid Robin Hood in general. Yeah. I've never used Robin Hood, nor have I used PayPal for crypto. None of like the big non-crypto brands, right? Like I think you can actually get crypto now on like eCash or, or, or Cash App, right? But I, I, I wouldn't touch any of them just simply because they're part of the, the technocratic establishment. Coinbase at least came from libertarian roots. Um, and they, and they seek to make crypto more, uh, uh, secure and, and more mainstream. So that's their mission. So for me, that's where I always, other than, you know, buying privately in the very early days. Um, yeah. Rito, you I gotta, just, real, I just add checked. You cannot transfer cryptocurrency out of Robinhood, nor can you transfer it out of PayPal. So yes, there you go. it's not really the purpose of what this is all about. So I would avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. Fredo, um, you've got a, your hand up. Did you want to add something? Yeah, I just didn't want to barge in. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, Robin Hood, you've got to stay away from it. It's pretty brutal. Um, it also defeats the whole point of cryptocurrency of it being decentralized. Yeah. If you, if you buy it on a centralized security exchange, they, they have all the benefit and you have zero benefit. So Correct. it's just a dumb move, in my opinion. One way, one way around all those KYC exchanges is to use these peer-to-peer uh, exchanges. And some good ones that I have used are local.bitcoin.com, local coin swaps, local cryptos. Those things um, really sort of make it easy. But the, the key, when you, if you're going to use those exchanges, the key is to stick with the escrow system because there's a lot of bad faith actors, and a lot of scammers out there. But if you stick to the escrow, you'll be all right. Have you used BISC? Uh, Sal, B-I-S-Q? No, I haven't. I haven't. I, I've used the Binance decks, but I haven't used BISC. Okay. Tell us about BISC, John. I haven't used it, but I have this privacy and cryptocurrency workshop coming up. I'd love everyone to participate. Pri- Cryptoandprivacy.com, Cryptoandprivacy.com. We're going to go over all the basics, get in-depth with decentralized finance, and talk a lot about Internet privacy. And I'm going to be presenting a lot on the private acquisition of cryptocurrency and then the private transfer of cryptocurrency. And so I usually just get crypto by people buying my products, which I think is the best way to acquire crypto in exchange for goods and services. And then, of course, peer-to-peer exchange is the next best way, which is why communities like the Freedom Cell Network and the Crypto Geese Group were in – every time I would buy R – like I bought some for my son, 99R, for like 30 or 40 bucks for his birthday. And then and I was like, holy shit, son, now it's worth like a thousand bucks or something. Yeah. So yeah. that was cool. But I just went to the MeWe groups, that one that Sal and Jack put together, the practical discussion group. And I was like, hey, does anybody want to sell me some R for, for BCH? And uh, those, that's the best way to get it. But I am going to experiment with some of these methods like BISC. So you download this trading platform, B-I-S-Q, and it's a program on your computer. And much like local.bitcoins, or what is it, local.bitcoins.com, right? That one uh, allows, it's just peer-to-peer, it just links people up. The only downside, though, however, is that the there's a really high premium on those, like 5 to 10, sometimes 15%. So you got to pay to play. And I presume the sellers are calculating the risk of them getting in trouble with the Department of Treasury or the feds for violation of the Bank Secrecy Act as though they're money, tra- money service businesses or whatnot. So you do have to pay to play. 
But at the end of the day, you know, if you hold on for a matter of months or years, that five to 10% will most likely be absorbed by the gains that you'll experience and the lack yeah. of paying tax on it, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, I use those exchanges pretty successfully um, last year, and I, I definitely recommend it. I think it's probably the most decentralized exchange. It's a peer-to-peer exchange, but there are a lot of cool DEXs out there to check out, and I think, you know, BISC is one of them. I'm not really familiar with that one, but I've used the Binance DEX, and that's that's pretty cool as well. I don't know if it's a de- – it's just a peer-to-peer platform, not necessarily a DEX. So the yeah. difference is like a peer-to-peer platform is just a platform that links up buyers and sellers – and the decentralized exchange is more in the it links up buyers and sellers in that if I'm a seller, I have a listing and it's like you can buy Bitcoin from me or other cryptocurrencies by making a deposit into this checking account, by sending a money order to this address, by using Zelle, which is this money transfer platform within checking accounts. Right. And then the decentralized exchange is more like a traditional exchange, except there's not a centralized institution and those will allow you to gain access to more cryptos and it'll show you your charts and your bids and asks and stuff like that do you have any tips al for using local.bitcoins.com besides localbitcoins.com it's not local.bitcoins it's localbitcoins.com for any of the listeners there's 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 two there's two.com but local.bitcoin.com is the one that i i've used the most one i'm the most familiar with but yeah, so it's it's actually really cool because if you think about it, you can post any sort of offer on that site. So let's say, for example, you want to pay your uh, your cell phone bill with cryptocurrency or something like that. You could just post that that trade there, and if some and anyone's free to come along and accept it. So um, you know, you, it's not just uh, cryptocurrency for cats. You could trade. Dash for DCH or Dash for Doge. I think actually, I'm sorry, it has to be uh, settled in, in Bitcoin Cash. But you could trade like a microwave or just people selling cars and uh, putting apartments up for rent. So it's a, it's a really, it's not only is it a decentralized exchange for cryptocurrency, it's also a decentralized marketplace, which is super disruptive. It's a great yeah. way for people to get started in entrepreneurship and to earn some money and, and start a side hustle. You can also um, accept payments in person. So, you know, I, I'm here in St. Peter, right, right outside of Tampa. I could post an offer to, hey, meet me in the parking lot of Publix and we'll make the transaction if you're concerned about security, you know. Sounds like an Agora. Yeah. Localbitcoins.com was the original peer-to-peer marketplace. Yeah. And it used to be like no one did KYC there, but then the Fed started busting people that were doing a ton of of cryptocurrency transactions. And so now I think they may require know your customer checks for yeah. everyone that wants to buy localbitcoin.com. It's a service of bitcoin.com, which is Roger Ver's outfit. Great website. Great man. Totally BCH though. You can tell it. Yeah, totally. Losing out little BCH stuff here and there, but uh, that's, that's a good solid platform for sure. Another um, quick little tip here. And this is like heavy agorist right here. Uh, what you could do, really the easiest way to do this, and of course I don't recommend doing anything illegal. This is just for experimental purposes. <laughs> Educational but, purposes only. Yeah. What you could do is you could just get a VPN, right? Or make it really easy. You can download the Opera browser, which has a VPN built into it. Point that sucker to Tokyo. As far as the feds are concerned, you're, you're Japanese. So you can buy something right off of uh, Binance.com or the Bitcoin.com centralized exchange. And uh, a little birdie told me you won't have any problems if you do that. So there oh you go. Bird. 
Yeah, we love that bird. So Keith, you've got some really good options to get in and any new listener that's looking to get into crypto, we just discussed a couple really great options like local.bitcoin.com, which I just learned about. I thought it was localbitcoins.com and um I knew about the troubles that they were having with the KYC, but thanks for bringing that back up. So there's, you know, you've got Coinbase, you've got these less than uh less than perfect choices like Robinhood and stuff because they don't actually do what you want, which is to actually hold the crypto. You want to have a a a non-custodial wallet where it's under your control. Yeah, instead of like uh a custodial wallet which is what you have on exchanges for the most part, not decentralized exchanges. So you get your initial crypto whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum. You know, people are are very a lot of people are very maximalist on Bitcoin, but we talked about some of the issues with it that it's slow, it's expensive. So you know, if you look at the top 10 list of cryptocurrencies out there, there's there's a lot of them that operate really well, are very secure and are, are clearly doing well. Right. Um, and if you're new as a new listener or, or somebody new into crypto, you know, I recommend just stick with the top 10 for now until you till you get more familiar with how the wallets work, how to protect your wallets and have, you know, get an offline storage wallet like. Um, excuse me, Ledger um, or some of the other solutions that are out there. But then we go to things like decentralized exchanges or centralized exchanges. You know, there there are exchanges out there like Binance, like the, like the, we were just talking about. Um, and some of them you can't use if you're an American citizen. But if you get Opera browser or something, uh, I will not confirm nor deny whether I have ever used Binance inappropriately. But there are ways to do those things if you were if you were wanting to. Yeah. Um, but so the, there's like KuCoin, CoinX. There's some that are just websites where you'll find more, uh, less reputable coins, which have like really done very well. Like there was some dude that I just watched a video and he's like, this is a scam coin and I'm just doing it just to show that you can make a coin. And he made like literally like his market cap went up to $5 billion and then what? dropped with $3.5 billion. So he's sitting on a market cap of $3.5 billion. And he was just like some some dumb kid that was like, I'm going to make a coin. And he did. There should be a uh, law against that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's there's a lot of really. But those kinds of coins, which is what the first question was, is like, are you guys messing with any of these these poop coins that are just scams? Clearly. But lots of people use them. They, they, They have put a budget out and go all over TikTok and everybody's like wanting to get rich. So they buy all these coins and then it just goes up and then, you know, collapses. Um, and I will neither confirm nor deny, you know, that I've made a ton of money on those kinds of coins. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Educational purposes. Somebody actually, some, some total a-holes made a fake freedom cells website, right? So freedomcells.org is the real freedom cells website where you'll find yeah. over 20,000 cool people looking to hang out and do cool stuff right. together. Freedom cells, somebody- they buy all these coins and then it just goes Whoa. up and then, uh oh. Uh, somebody made freedomcells.net and when you go, it's like take back control of your internet and prosper. And it uses all this weird language that's like, sounds like it's cool liberty stuff, but you can tell it's like these people, their first language isn't English. And then I went and logged in and created a dummy account and they're trying to sell a token called FCell, C-E-L-L. So they created a token with Ethereum. Ooh. And they're an ERC-20 token, and they're trying to sell it as though they were raising money for some crowdfunding thing. Thankfully, I don't think very many people have really gone to it or aren't very confused and stuff. But, yeah, there's a lot of wow. swindlers out there. 
Yep. Somebody did that with permacredits back in 2014 with my first project and they, they got permacredits.org, you know, and I let permacredits go and I was just like, I, I'm going to rebrand and, you know, start from scratch. Fire.com. Yeah. And, and so they, uh, they went and they've been trying to promote that, you know, and it even started back up in 2017. And I was like, yeah, you guys aren't, you know, this isn't going to work. So you guys, I got a question in the YouTube, like, how do you tell a crap coin? Oh, this is a good one. So I, 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 in my opinion, I think it's all based on utility, right? Because I mean, if we go back to, this, to the science of economics, we know that uh, uh, any successful monetary commodity has to have a, a non-monetary use case to it, right? This is what Carl Menger said. So to me, it's all about utility. That's why I, I really think BTC is overhyped because it doesn't really have too much utility at this point. That's why I'm so big on on coins that, that do that are that are able to function as a, an efficient medium of exchange or as a facilitator of smart contracts or anything else, really. And yeah. It doesn't matter what the utility is as long as there's something there. That's good. I think network effect is important. That's why I like CoinGecko.com, CoinGecko.com. It's like CoinMarketCap.com. It lists all the coins. There's over 6,600 of them, which is pretty ridiculous. Most of them are total crap, but you can go and see – the social media. So most solid coins will have a thread on the Bitcoin forums. They'll have a Twitter account with activity and messages and exciting community. There'll be a, a Reddit uh, page as well. And so you'll want to go and look and see if there's actually some community action going on. And then active developers, um, like updating the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Where they put the depositories. Yeah, the BitHub. So you'll want to see that there's developer activity, that the developers are active. It's cool if they're actually, you know, they tie their identity instead of like a little shadowy thing. But if if it's a shadowy thing, that's cool too, if it's like a privacy coin. And you want to see some active developers actually developing. And then another telltale sign, which was a false read when it comes to Pirate Chain, is that they have good software and good wallets. So if it's a project that just has like a wallet that hardly works, then it's like, ah, uh, there's not a lot of action here. There's not a lot of use, right? When I first started messing with Pirate Chain, hearing about it from Jack, I was like, these wallets are kind of crappy. Wow, this is pretty difficult for me. And I've been involved in the space for a while. Uh, what's up with that? They've since improved and they're doing updates and stuff, but I think that's a good, a good tell. So you got to have a strong active community, a network effect. You can learn about that at coingecko.com easily and see all the Reddit, Twitter, Bitcoin form stuff. And then active development, developers that are participating. Ideally, the developers are salaried somehow, not getting paid by Blockstream, this evil corporation, not that kind of salary, but <laughs> ideally they're like working on the project full time, which is pretty cool. And then having some good wallet stuff. And then, yeah, like Sal, the Echo Sal said, to have some sort of utility. There's a lot of people that want to try to force stuff into cryptocurrencies, like cryptocurrency, all the things. When in reality, sometimes a centralized database works better, you know. What are those old school ASIC miners? One of the first USB ASIC miners right there. Yeah. Yeah, this is the first generation. ASIC miner, ASIC miner. (laughs) Wow. I guess a collectible now. I hope you had a permit for those. <laughs> yeah, this uh, it was hard to get USB hubs uh, that were able to supply enough power to to run them all because right. they're they're all 500 milliamps. Are you, you up a lot here? Any other? Uh, I, I want to address the the crypto scam coin uh, thing, but key, Eric, um, are you able to use those miners now for any other coins? 
I was mining uh, a, a crap coin on it. Um, uh, what was it? Tech coin, T E K. Yeah. And uh, but I haven't been lately. It's just, there aren't it's not many worth the fuss. Proof of work coins out there that are not shot two fifty six. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with the scam coin question in the YouTube chat right now, I just put a link up to, uh, an educational video on how to make your own cryptocurrency scam. And it actually matches like, and they use the example of this coin that just came out called safe moon, um, which everybody thinks is a scam coin, but it's like actually doing something. Um, they, 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 they meet all of John's criteria. They have a good developer team that are doing stuff. They're, they've got a lot of social. Um, but this video shows you, they, they use SafeMoon as an example and say, you can go pay for all of these posts using this website, uh, and you'll get all of this stuff on Twitter. You know, you can pay for all of this stuff on Reddit right here or LinkedIn and all of these other different, it's like, very, it, for like $5,000 or $6,000, you can have your very own scam coin and um, just make a nice website, this and that and the other thing. And so you can have all of these these markers that say, yes, this is a legit operation and all of this. Um, and both pe- people will still think that there's a scam there um, in the sense that market sentiment drives a lot of these coins more than any KPIs. Like, Yes, we want to have a good project. There's got to be some good utility, like Sal said, and some some problem that it's solving. Um, and ideally, if it's like a real problem, one that that the community outside of the Bitcoin space needs solved, then it'll do even better. I've seen coins that are just solving problems in the Bitcoin space do phenomenally well, but only to a small group of people who are Bitcoiners or blockchainers, right? Mm-hmm. Cryptocurrency enthusiasts. So library is a great example. Yep, they're they're fantastic, and they have like a great utility that everybody needs that's outside of the Bitcoin space, but they're using blockchain technology underlying. And with all of the tech censorship and people being deplatformed off of YouTube and Twitter and all of these other things, like they're they're providing a solution. So um, I look at coins like that and say that's amazing. But it's really ironic that a lot of coins that have absolutely no utility other than as market making money operations are doing you know strategically well right Doge, like dogecoin doge yeah it's it's more than half of a u.s dollar now there's so much inflation in the u.s dollar that like any almost any of these cryptocurrencies will become utilitarian in the near future right and depending upon how strong they are able to withstand the coming collapse is how utilitarian and valuable they'll be right i mean in the future coming collapse you know it I've been waiting for that collapse since 2006. I've been onto that collapse thinking it was right around the corner. And then we had this little sub collapse with the housing crisis, but it wasn't a true collapse. Sometimes yeah. I think it's like, it's either going to be a catastrophic, cataclysmic, Mad Max style economic collapse, Weimar Republic, just crazy shit, or it's going to be this really methodical transition to this technocratic state and it's like not a collapse it's just a frog in the boiling pot social engineered transition before you know it we wake up with fucking nanotechnology running through our skin and social credit scores i don't know that's already happening right that's like there's a great segment of the population who've decided to become nanobot experiments um so I, I, I agree with you, John. Uh, I think that there's, there, there will be a ca- It's sort of like the opposite of development, right? Like we, we kind of plateau for a bit and some significant happens like blockchain. And then all of a sudden we go up to another plateau and there's like this, this rise and then it, something significant happens. I think it'll be the opposite. Like mm. there, there's some kind of like 
COVID, right? It sort of dropped everything and now we're kind of coasting again. What's the next sort of like 9-11 was one of those things. So, you know, I, I kind of, if I were to picture what the world would be like in 10 years, I don't know if any, any of you have seen Star Trek where they go back in time to find the first warp drive. The guy, uh, Zevrin Cochran, he makes the first warp drive and, um, they go back into like 2025, I think was the date and, the United States has fractured into a variety of different like factions and like uh balkanized sort of states. And there's some big event that had killed a lot of people and everybody's living in sort of camps and there's high technology, but there's also like no global connectivity. Right. And I think that that's kind of like a bit of in some way what we're going to see, we're going to have cryptocurrency and people are going to be exchanging value with that, but using solar and other things to, to power their, their little facilities or their encampments or whatever. Their um, camps. Yeah. Right. So, um, Keith, do you have, do you, you, you still have your hand up? Did you want to ask a question to anything that we had spoken? And then, uh, crypto Fredo, I want to give you an opportunity to address any of these things. Yeah. Thanks. Um, you know, I've heard a lot about the gas prices and how much, you know, the different, the way the transactions are done and everybody's got their hand in the money and the, the gas prices, so to speak, the charges of fees that they just for you, them to digitally hold and transfer your stuff. That's like, a great question. Great topic. Um, I'll, I'll speak to that real quick and then we'll go to Sal and then John, if that's all right. Um, so the gas, so Ethereum was the, was one of the first, what are called proof of stake coins. So the difference is proof of work is what Eric was doing. He get, he showed us that miner and a, the computers sit and calculate, uh, and try to break the cryptographic algorithm around that block in the, in whatever blockchain that might be. And it's not a specific password. It's just watches how long you've worked and then says, okay, now we'll open it. And that's proof of work, whereas proof of stake is um, you show that you have the coins or you trade fiat for the coins or you trade some other coin and you're, you say, here's my proof of stake. Here's my proof of that I have these coins. And so they created, uh, Vitalik created uh, a methodology by which everybody who's using the Ethereum nodes processes all of the transactions in the ecosystem. And for that processing power on their computer to process all of the transactions, they're getting paid a little bit of Ethereum or Ether, right? And what's happened is that the network became so bloated. So many people were like, hell yeah, we got a whole new, you know, economic system. Let's use. And so they did. And so it, it slowed everything down. And there's, there's a great website that has like a, a visual demonstration of this with a Bitcoin train and an Ethereum train. That's and, cool. Yeah, and and they they show how many people or transactions are going on both. Uh, does anybody know what that website is off offhand? There's a BCH train too, and that sucker's flowing smooth. Yes, yes. So it, it basically shows that there's so much traffic on the network that it's like this huge queue of transactions waiting to take place. So people have then made a market of paying higher transaction fees to get their transaction processed by the, uh, the ecosystem and economy, you know, of, of Ethereum users, um, and which has driven the prices up. So if it's, it's like with Bitcoin, you want to send a million dollars. Now it costs almost a thousand dollars to send a million dollars and with Ethereum, but it's really slow on Bitcoin with Ethereum. It's a little bit faster, but you might send $20 worth of Ethereum and it'll cost you 10 or $20. So it's just this, this ridiculous, like, um, gas fees is what they call it. 
and mm, they're, they're trying to solve it. Like this network called Matic, uh, now is Polygon, and they've done a sort of secondary chain on top of the Ethereum network. Not a side chain, really, but a layer, uh, like a side chain. So, um, yeah, that's what, that's what the gas prices are. Sal, you wanna, you wanna address that? John, you wanna address that? You, you broke it down pretty good there. I think, you know, that's, that's certainly the reason why I think, um, you know, uh, transaction fees are so high. The important thing to understand here is that that's what makes these currencies unusable, right? If you, if it costs, uh, $10 to send, uh, you know, $5 and it says for all intents and purposes, a shit coin, right? It's, it's, it has no utility whatsoever. So, um, ah. that's why, you know, if, unless, you know, there's something else going on, unless it's like a mines token or something like that. But in those cases, you don't have to worry about these high transaction fees. So, yeah, no, I think that the gas fees and there's all sorts of like convoluted solutions that they've tried to come up with, like layer two and sharding and all all kinds of stuff. But you say yeah. sharding, sharding, yeah, yeah, <laughs> break up. Basically, like, what's going on, right? Yeah, well, they essentially try to break up the blockchain and like, you know send pieces yeah. of it to the miners. Oh, shard, yes. At, at the end of the day, though, you know the only way that works is to really raise the block size incrementally over time. I think. So I, I disagree with something that you said. Um, I don't think that it necessarily makes it a shit coin. I think it just changes the value proposition, specifically with the case of, of Bitcoin. Now with Ethereum, when the whole purpose is like smart contracts and tokens and create your own assets and then you have high transaction fees, yeah, that really inhibits utility. But I think what happened with Bitcoin is that it shifted the value proposition away from digital currency to digital gold store value, right? And people yeah. will like fight over that, but it's pretty blatant. Like that's the use case for Bitcoin right now is digital gold yeah. and a store of value cryptocurrency. And the unfortunate thing is there's a lot of folks that think that there was a conspiracy that took place, which very well there may be at the hands of this Blockstream Corporation uh, during the whole block size debate uh, about how are we going to scale the cryptocurrency and there was a chance when the block sizes, each block is approximately one megabyte, although it's often more than one megabyte, but it's supposed yeah. to be approximately one megabyte. And so that's, and that's one megabyte of data. And the data is the transaction information. Who's going to send what to what address, when, how much was sent. And so you can only fit so much space on that one megabyte block. And whenever it was kind of neutered and the whole effort to raise the block size, even just to two megabytes kind of got shot down, it really took away the potential for Bitcoin to also be digital cash. And if it was, if Bitcoin became not only a digital gold store value, but also digital cash, then I think the price would be even higher than it is now. And it'd have so much, much more utility and it'd be really special. But the cool thing about the market mechanisms in place is we have Bitcoin cash that we can be our digital cash to buy smaller stuff, to pay my son $2 for emptying the dishes, you know, $2 worth of Bitcoin cash. Can't do that with Bitcoin. And then another thing, I was listening to Andreas Antonopoulos, who's a total badass, this guy, such a depth of knowledge and a really great way to explain it. If anyone want, really wants to dive deep, but also get some beginner stuff in a, in a consumable way, his YouTube channel, Andreas Antonopoulos, whatever, uh, is really solid. But he, you know, he was making a good case for this transaction fee mechanism in that it's better than having some sort of centralized institution or some, 
some like board yep. of directors decide what the transaction fee is going to be because it gives people the power and the freedom to uh, choose how bad they want that transaction to go in on the next block. Yep. And yep. I think that's that's kind of cool. It's unfortunate. And, you know, me and Sal are definitely big blockers. And it's so weird that there was just such a rankish, nasty debate over that. And like everyone's all butthurt and weird about it still. Dude, you brought up a really good point because like Blockstream and like the everybody thinks Bitcoin's so decentralized and it's really not like it really is not. It, it's better yeah. than the past. Yeah, you've got the 65 percent of the miners are Chinese mining companies and if they decided to fork it they could and you have no control over that the idea here as agorist is which coin is the one that we are able to have the most effect onto have the most say in how it goes because all of these coins literally are all developed by a team who makes those decisions on what they think is best there has not yet been and eos was an attempt in this to to get governance and that's the holy grail and that's where i think byron.com is the one that's gonna gonna win that because the idea is how we make the decisions together, right? So the the Bitcoin is decided by the same six guys and they made that decision to not raise the block size. And that's why Bitcoin cash came about. Right. But that's the cool thing about a free market is that all of these new solutions come up, but like, just because you have the better mousetrap doesn't mean that everybody thinks that your mousetrap is better. Like I was just talking with a guy who's got the most advanced battery systems in the world. Right. And like way better than Tesla, but everybody's going to go buy Tesla shit because they know Elon Musk, right? Like there's this whole, the market sentiment again. Um, It's not the best product that wins. It's the best marketed product. That's a classic uh, direct marketing and old school marketing guy. Little Yeah. So when you're looking for scam coins, folks out there, like this is something also to consider, right? Like there, people have are really good at their marketing game, um, but their coin might not be. So uh, we did want to go to uh, to one of our flock here, um, Crypto Fredo. Did you want to add something to this discussion, my friend? I have trouble, like, wrapping my head around any of this, but I've been trying to listen, uh, making notes. Um, any questions? Yeah, what part's hard to understand? Because we could probably slow it oh, down a little. Um, just... Like the the layer, I think that just the layering or the side, the side chains or any of that stuff, just like, like I, lightning I can't network. Really, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get the idea of like the big whale currency, like Bitcoin or Ethereum being too large and too like too much kind of financial bureaucracy, so to speak, being there and, and it, it just being too big to like handle all of those things. And there has to be a side thing like Ethereum Classic or Bitcoin Cash that handles those those like everyday transactions. Like that makes sense to me. But I just don't understand why there has to be like 10 million of them or okay. why they're different. Let me, let me just jump in there. I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. There doesn't have to be 10 million of them and there won't be in the long run. Eventually, the market will narrow itself down to like only the most saleable commodity. And there's a list of criteria we can use to evaluate the saleability of currencies in Carl Menger's little book, The Origins of Money. And if you look at that list and you compare it to all different cryptocurrencies, in my opinion, obviously, you come to the conclusion that Bitcoin Cash is the most saleable. Um, <laughs> and I think you're right, too, about um, like, he loves it. 
No, it's, it's, it's completely true. And like, I'll give you two examples real quick. A couple of things that Menger says is that it has to have low transaction fees and uh, it, it shouldn't be susceptible to political or social censorship is what he says. So Correct. Um, also, if you look at soundness, like the qualities of sound money, I think Bitcoin Cash wins that as well. Um, and, you know, we, we can go on and on and on. But one other point I wanted to touch on real quick is that the, the conspiracy of centralization in Bitcoin, I think, the concern is not that Blockstream has centralized um, the, the ecosystem. And for me, the concern is that the intelligence community has centralized the ecosystem. So, bing, bing, my, bing. Yeah, in my mind, and I've spoken to some other people in the Bitcoin Cash community who agree, it seems to me very likely that, um, let's put it like this, if I was in the government and I saw that there was this uh, burgeoning uh, cryptocurrency that was could potentially threaten uh, the Federal Reserve's monopoly. One way to do to, to, to combat it would be to infiltrate the community and find ways to make it unusable, like, I don't know, keeping the block size really, really small. So uh, in, in my mind, it's very like, you know, I'll take my tinfoil hat off now, but in my mind, it's very coincidental that all of that happens at the same time. So what's the, that's great. I think that makes things a little bit more clear, but what what's the... What's stopping people like bad actors basically from infiltrating things like Ethereum Classic, Bitcoin Cash, and making them unusable over time? Who says they haven't already? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, a <laughs> um, that that. So, John, do you want to answer that? I've got a I've got a I've got an answer for that, but I want to give you an option opportunity. Uh sure, yeah, I could riff. Um, so the powers that be in the cabal. And the parasitic class are very powerful, but oftentimes people attribute omnipotence to this group of bad actors, and that's just not the case. And I think, you know, one thing Donald Trump, I think, really showed that these guys have a lot of chinks in their armor because he just came out and was like, who the hell is this guy? Nobody thought he had a chance to win. And then he's throwing all these haymakers at the media and the deep state and this, that and the other. And the guy was far from perfect and quite an authoritarian, but it's like wow, he really disrupted this globalist agenda, you know? So I do think that they have the ability to co-opt, and I do think it's possible, if not likely, that in some ways they co-opted the radical potential of Bitcoin. But I don't think that they are so powerful that they can necessarily overcome an uncontrollable and innovative wave of disruption that just comes and really shakes things up. And now we have this and one thing that I like to do when studying the conspiratorial view of history is to to look at human action. I have the privilege of like being a conspiracy theorist first and then getting into libertarianism. So I kind of mesh the two together when there's a bunch of jerk off libertarians and they're like, we can't talk about 9-11 truth, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, wow, if when you have human action and libertarianism coupled with the conspiratorial view of history, you can really do some good novel analysis. So I like to apply human action and incentives and disincentives to like, okay, now, for example, now that there is legacy financial money and like big wig money and hedge fund money and the same class of people that buys politician, now that they're vested in Bitcoin to protect their wealth from inflation, it creates this effect where it's not in their best interest to destroy Bitcoin, for example, or when everyone's like, what if they shut off the Internet? It's like there's a lot of powerful people that make a lot of money 
and do a lot of cool stuff with the internet. So they are, there's like this check and balance that's there. It's not just one omnipotent centralized new world order that controls everything. There's different factions and this faction and this patriot uh, nationalist movement that's growing all across the world. And then the Yakuza faction and the shadow elite and the Anglo-American establishment. And then, you know, I'd like to think that this agorist phenomenon, this voluntarist phenomenon birthed, you know, and brought together by Ron Paul and like all these big thinkers and like Jack Spierko and all these cool people doing cool shit. Like we've turned into a force to be reckoned with as well. And this community really drove cryptocurrency a whole lot. So I think that I think I'm I'm really cautiously optimistic about the the cause. I think I'm just rambling here a little bit, but that's no. You're you're you're, you've got a really good bunch of points there, and I think the key one is that you know it's not this this totalitarian omnipotent force that we're dealing with. That it is overcomable, and it is overcomable through our cooperation, our literal cooperation, and finding ways that we find common ground and common goals, and helping each other to make those happen for the greater good of the species and for the ecosystem. Right. Um, in terms of like, how do you prevent that happening from any cryptocurrency project? Specifically, you, you, you need to look at governance. You need to look at, so what EOS did that was really cool was that they, they made a decision making process, process that was again based on the, the, the sort of like, I have this many stocks, so I have this much say, right? The problem is, is that people are not incentivized in even in that ecosystem with progressive thinking, you know, techn- technologically advanced people to there's no incentive to actually vote or take part in the voting system. They bought their EOS just to watch it pump. And they were trying to make decisions, trying to make decisions that would infect those people who were who holding those coins and help them make their money. But those people wouldn't even involve themselves in that decision making process. And they had so many coins that they couldn't get a quorum or enough people to actually have a yes consensus because all of these people that were holding coins just wouldn't show up. So, again, the real holy you, you touched on what is the holy grail, essentially, of all of these systems and all of governance and all of human civilization. How do we govern when people a don't want to involve themselves in that process and are not incentivized to do so? And then when you're looking at cryptocurrencies, how to um, evaluate them based on that that true decentralization uh, value system or value chain? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, governance is critical. And it's I think it's it's government that has allowed for so much corruption and deviation from human potential. What do you got, Sal? Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say, because the original question that Crypto Credo had was about um, why Bitcoin Cash or, or something like Ethereum Classic couldn't be subject to that same sort of attack. Um, do you guys have me? My computer looks like it froze. Yeah, you look frozen. Yeah, we still got you. Just got a nice yeah. sexy look you got going there. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it could be, right? Um, Vare is a good dude, and his value systems are in alignment with the libertarian structure. I mean, he, he said F you to the United States and went and, and de-citizens de- him himself. He didn't, he's no longer a U.S. citizen. I think they might have kicked him out too or something, but like he, he's very much about the libertarian utilitarian use of the blockchain. So as long as he's alive and running it, then it should be fine, right? Um, it's when people are swayed by money, right? We see corruption in all of the levels of government and corporations around the world. People will do anything. Some people will sell out their own family for money. So the whole idea of Bitcoin and blockchains were to 
create trustless systems where you don't have that sort of corruption. Um, and so the short answer is yes, it could be corrupted. Just like all of the other coins could just be the, the, the development team could say, like, we're going to turn it off. Like mm-hmm. an interesting little side note on NFTs is there's one company that all NFTs, it might have changed in the last two months, but that there's one company that they run the protocol for NFTs. And if they decide to turn off their, their, their shutters and close their office, all the NFTs disappear. Like talk about centralized point of failure, right? So. so- let, let, let me hop in there real quick. Um, yeah, so, so Roger doesn't like actually control Bitcoin Cash. It's like just like any other proof of work network. It's like a, a decentralized network of miners. But the 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 key like strategy used by the BTC community to like protect themselves is like it all comes down to hash power, right? Yeah. And their their philosophy is well, if every individual can run a node, then uh, you know we can sort of decentralize the hash power and make it really secure. But the problem with that is not everybody can run a node. It's super, it's a super complex process. Follow a guy named Joel Valenzuela. He's actually trying to set one. He's been trying to set one up for about a month now and still has a lightning network. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's insane. So in, in the Bitcoin cash community, we have a different approach. The idea is that as if we, if we can be an efficient medium of exchange, then merchants will adopt Bitcoin cash and they will be naturally incentivized to verify their own transactions. So these merchants are going to, are going to be running nodes or in mining Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin cash transactions. In that way, it'll be much more decentralized and much more secure than the BTC network. So that's why I, I think it's, you're less likely to see an attack long term on the BCH network than you are on the BTC network. Right now, if a, if a government really, really wanted to, I don't see why they couldn't compile enough hash power to really destroy any blockchain, frankly. Dude, I, I, I work with developers who could break any of the blockchains out right. there in, in like 9.3 milliseconds is what they and call then, it. And what they, say, what they say is, oh, well, we have quantum cryptography or, or, and the, the whole thing is, you know, you can have quantum resistant blockchains. So yeah. I, I, I the project, there is a, a quantum resistant blockchain out there that project that's out there. I forget the name of it, but it was really exciting to me for, for like three minutes. Um, do you remember what it's called? <laughs> For three minutes. No. But when you were I, reading an article, you're excited, and then you moved away from it. It was no longer exciting. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to get Eric's, Eric's take on this because as a miner, he has a unique take on, on hash awesome. power, how it's sort of allocated throughout the ecosystem. Yeah, it's it's a bit interesting. I haven't been mining for a while, so that's not something I keep Back track of anymore. Back in the good anymore. old days. Yeah. This was uh, 333 mega hashes each stick. So, yeah, long time ago. Right. Yeah. Um, I just wanted, you don't know, that's not a lot now. That's <laughs> tiny, yeah. yeah. That, that was basically the power of a good video card back in the day. Yeah. Which was amazing to get on a USB stick. But uh, I just wanted to mention I was um, early on a decentralized coin or decentralized exchange coin that uh, was called Blocknet and there was a lot of FUD for a while and it just didn't do anything and then it and then it got quite a bit of excitement and and then now it's really low again but it uh, it does have some promising technology behind it and they did work on it it's it's not a what's that block didn't turn out to be a Blocknet Block.net I'm not sure about the website but it's a uh, the Name of the coin is Block, B-L-O-C-K. 
Is this, is this is a native token to the exchange? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's blocknet.co. The blocknet.co. There you go. Is that early Dex? Dexes are cool. Next wave. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think on the you know the corruptibility question, it's I, I don't I, I don't think that this is where crypto Fredo is coming from with this question, but there's a lot of folks that like they just don't want cryptocurrency to work, or maybe they feel that they miss the boat and so now they're like wanting to shit all over it or something. But mm-hmm. people like always come up with these complaints and objections. And one thing that I always respond with is like, well, what the hell do you propose then? Right? Like, okay, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, whatever, it can be corruptible. Yeah, it's it's possible that something could get totally screwed up and co-opted. But what's the alternative? And most of these old school like patriot conspiracy types, because a lot of our audience in the Greater Reset and uh, like the Conscious Resistance Network, I do some stuff with. There's a lot of like really you know deep research conspiracy types, and they falsely, in my opinion, falsely believe that Bitcoin is part of the you know the New World Order or whatever. And they're just like looking for reasons to object it. And then it's like, okay, well, what the hell are you doing? And chances are most of them are using Visa and MasterCard at the end of the right. day, you know, or they have a stash of gold, which is great, but it's pretty hard to transport $60,000 worth of gold around. It's not very practical to tra- to send it anywhere either. And it's like, okay, it's we're not asking for a panacea here. We're just looking for some cool shit to do. And at the end of the day, this cryptocurrency thing is pretty freaking cool compared to what else yeah. is out there. There's something so, interesting that you out. about Visa. So in in governance, right? So Visa is the centralized corporation, yada, yada. But their governance system, the, the way that they ran their company was completely decentralized. And this was like, I guess, the 90s or whatever when Visa happened, late 80s, early 90s. Back in the good old days. Back in the days, you know, uh, with uh, In Living Color and the Fly Girls. <laughs> this guy, D-Hawk, came out and was like, we're going to make all of the decisions together as a community and a company. We're, we're competing with MasterCard and Visa or MasterCard and American Express and nobody knows us yet. And we have these goals to accomplish. You live here. You live there. You live there. You're going to make the decisions based on your, on essentially, John, what you, what you t- uh, keyed in on with freedom selves, groups of eight small groups within the corporation would all come to consensus idea making pods and then it would go up the chain. And he was basically decentralized the whole system. He would just have to do the okay or not, you know, get a report. They would do all the work, figure it out what it's going to do, propose it. And then he said yes or no. And that was his whole role was just like a yes or no guy. Um, he set the standards, set the goals and set the time frame, And then everybody had to figure it out. So it was a very decentralized governance system uh, that took Visa from nobody nowhere to the largest payment processor in the world in like a few short years, like relatively speaking. So. Cool. I don't know yeah. that little history. Yeah, D Hawk is a is a really cool, interesting character for that. Um and that fits into again, you know, EOS was very revolutionary uh in, in its processing and its its thinking about and attempting to uh figure out the solution of how to decentralize decision making. ARC is another good coin that has has uh had potential doing that. They do a very similar thing. But again, it's like marketing. Where where are they at now and what are they doing? Yeah. It's all about who you know. I wanted to bring this up earlier because um, somebody mentioned Ethereum Classic and uh, just a little fun little history of what Ethereum Classic is. It also goes to the corruptibility of cryptocurrency. Like everyone's always talking about crypto being corrupted from the outside by the Illuminati types. Well, Ethereum was 
corrupted in a sense by the, the founder Vitalik Buterin, right? So the one of the main value propositions of these blockchains is a term called immutability, which essentially means that it cannot be changed. So you put something on the blockchain, everyone has consensus, and then it gets stamped on the blockchain, and then a block covers it up, and a block covers it up, and it's there forever, right? That's how it's supposed to be. That's really beneficial for putting something in a historical record. I have title to this. Right. Here's proof that this went through. Smart contract. I fulfilled this obligation. We signed off on it. It's there. It can't be changed. No one can like now you see you go back to old articles from back in the day and they're like changing stuff up or the CDC will change its website and so on and so forth. You do a little hair scratcher there for the podcast audience. <laughs> in a state of bliss over there. Excited for three I was minutes. listening. I was deeply in. in I know. I know. I know. Just, it just threw me, it threw me off. Um, so what I was saying immutability is, on the blockchain, the whole purpose of it was to have an immutable record that could be there forever. And Christine then did can't what? be changed. Yeah. And then there was this, one of the very first smart contract platforms actually was called the DAO, D-A-O, distrib- yeah. uh, decentralized autonomous organization. It was going to be the smart contract platform and everyone was going to invest through a smart contract where you send your ether to this address and then you get these DAO tokens. And I invested in it and was excited about it, right? Well, somebody found an exploit in this smart contract. This was all taking place on the Ethereum blockchain and they somebody were able, inside the organization inside Ethereum's development or some, somebody inside DAO. <laughs> it was Hawk. It was Hawk's buddies. He was talking to <laughs> back in hack blockchains. No, it was an, it was an inside job. 100%. All right. So it, so they essentially exploited this hole in the smart contract and really stole like tens of millions or hundreds of millions of Ethereum from people. $60 million. $60 million? That's how much it was stolen. That's a lot of money. And this was early on with, in crypto when it wasn't, yep. you know, $2 trillion market cap. 2015. And so everyone was like, holy shit, this is a total disaster, PR nightmare. Bunch of people lost a lot of money. And so Vitalik got together with some of the big investors and they decided essentially to roll back the blockchain, right? So it is the race, that whole little thing that happened. Yeah. It's supposed to be immutable, but when enough people agree to go back and change it, then they went and essentially erased that big faux pas snafu. And that's when some other people in the community were like, no, 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 that's not right. And so they forked away or maybe the old, the, the real, the original Ethereum. Well, I guess no, Ethereum no, Classic Ethereum, is the original. Exactly. The new Ethereum is the yeah, fork. The corrupt yeah. Ethereum that's worth $2,500 right now. They changed and went forward and they're like, no, we're going to keep with the Ethereum Classic. So there's two chains now. So it's a cool story about markets and betrayal and corruption. And it kind of is like, you know, a weakness. Some people like like to cover that stuff up or they don't like to talk about high transaction fees or Bitcoin sucking as a currency. But it's like, let's put this all on the table and examine it, because at the end of the day, it is not perfect. Yep, that's really good points. And in fact, like that's always I always give that talk. I give some components of that talk whenever I give a, a talk, a, a keynote or whatever at the at the conferences or at, at um with uh, our buddies, with Klaus, yeah, with with Klaus Schwab, <laughs> uh, Doctor Evil. So, um, so now I think we have just about fifteen more minutes, um, and I wanted to give Mr. Crypto Fredo, Keith, Eric, or now also Allison, Got a newcomer. Yeah, Allison McCarran. Um, is there any question that you would like to have that hasn't been answered in this discussion? And then I want to reserve like the last ten to five minutes talking about some shit coins and some of the cool things and projects that are out there. 
So go ahead, Keith. You don't have to raise your hand. Just chime in, my man. Yeah, um, what um, John just said about the mutability um, and the smart contracts. So once those contracts are issued or the structure of the the coin, um, it's it's really pretty secure, and and that's what the whole idea with the blockchain is: is to secure it to where there is immutability. Or am I getting it confused with something else? Uh, it, there's two. Immutability is definitely a huge component, but it's essentially to disintermediate any central party from maintaining control over any transaction or money itself. To disintermediate the banks out of existence where they centralize power and control through currency or, or you know, controlling of currency and issuance of it. To put that back in the hands of the people, ideally with the ultimate goal of the people as a collective coming up with a means of governing it properly. That so be that, that um, would be a um um excuse me oh <laughs> uh, I you say a sovereignty of the coin so to speak that it that is its purpose and so it cannot be misguided or um, like a mission statement so to speak in a sense like it used to be that you had ten million dollars and you wanted to buy something in another country you would have to have your bank send the money to their bank and that would take a while and the banks would be involved and they take huge fees and they would control markets that way so now with a bitcoin type currency or a blockchain you could distribute that bank's purpose to everybody who's involved in the ecosystem and maintaining it and could validate that transaction immediately and have an, have an immutable record of that transaction so that the person on the other end knows I got the value that I needed immediately without the bank um, having to, to take weeks or whatever. So they could send the, so it's just moving money and commerce globally to the speed of light, literally like electrons, right? And yeah, so well, that, that's perfect then. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Allison, yeah, did you I, wanna- I think just one, one thing. I think that, that you, you hit it on the head. That's the main innovation that Bitcoin brought, right? With the white paper was the not having to rely on a third party. And then there's all these other benefits on the side, but that was like the big, like, wow, now we have a trustless, non-intermediated way of transferring value and information. Correct. Yep. Yep. How about you, Mr. Eric or Miss Allison? I don't know if you have your audio attached, Allison, but, uh, Eric, if you wanted to ask a question. I did want to mention uh, an exchange that I'm on that I onboard with, and that's um, Kraken. Oh, yeah, that's a huge, huge one, and it's a centralized one. And I don't think – I think they got hacked at one point, um, but they handled it really well. Is that right, Eric? I'm not sure. There was a Canadian exchange that they had uh, purchased that I was on that did get hacked, and I think that was uh, uh some news about that, but uh, I'm not sure about Kraken itself. They've been really good. Uh, haven't had any problems with them. Very good. Very good. So why don't we do that then? Um, you want to sh- everybody share some of the exchange. We'll go first with exchanges, some of the exchanges that everybody thinks are really good, both central and decentralized. Um, I can start. I know that there's uh, there's like Bolonex, which is like a really weird coin finder exchange. Um, again, a lot of these centralized exchanges, especially in like 2014, 15, like they were getting taken out. And one of the methods by which they're taken out is the feds will send them a letter saying, you're doing something bad. We're going to come get you. And then they get all squirrely. And then, you know, they start messing up and then they come get them. 
right? It's like sort of extortion kind of game that goes on. And so I prefer exchanges that are outside the country, unless the exchanges that are inside the country are fully like maybe in Wyoming or whatever, like there's Mandala exchange that's just started. And, um, just so you know how coins get in an exchange, people pay, the coin makers pay to be in the exchange anywhere from 20 to $200,000, um, depending upon how reputable the exchange is. And then you have to actually have like a good use case and all of this. So just because a coin is on an exchange does not make it legit, right? Um, the more legit ones are like Coinbase and, uh, you know, Binance. You have other Binance, yeah. And they have Binance US now. There's also KuCoin. There's... Uh, uh, coin X, which is where you can get coins like R or H bar. And we'll talk about those in a second. R maybe. Yeah. Are there any other centralized exchanges you use, John, or that you recommend? I mainly just use KuCoin because they don't require, uh, know your customer and they have some pretty decent coins on there. R is not on there, but they have ETH and BCH and some Doge coins on there, for example. And yeah. it's a really solid service. It's reputable. They've been around for a really long time. They're around back in the 2014, 2015 era, but they survived yep. unscathed. Yep. Uh, and then I just can't overemphasize the peer to peer nature. I'm doing cons- consultations for a while and it's consultations with like this crowd and my audience and, and everyone's always like, how can I get cryptocurrency privately without know your customer? And I feel like it hurts me to be like, you know, it's actually really challenging. It's kind of a pain <laughs> in the butt unless you're going to pay 10, 15% use the local Bitcoin.com, local.bitcoin.com. Um, but you know, what we really need to cultivate is our own agoras, our counter economy, where at any given day, there's people that are willing to buy and willing to sell. And it's just a private thing. It's not a business. It's just yep. selling, like selling your car to this guy over here. Yep. And we really need to grow that. Um, so that's what I would say. But I do have to run. I just want to give one more plug. You know, I'm a plugger over here to the uh, the workshop that I'm going to be doing. We're doing it live Screw it. We'll do it live uh, the 15th and 16th. And it's all about cryptocurrency, basics, intermediate stuff like uh, decentralized exchanges, staking, uh, putting liquidity into pool, decentralized exchange pools, all that good stuff. And then there's also going to be a component on Internet privacy, sending and receiving encrypted messages and emails, and also just the overall privacy mindset as you do cryptocurrency or general Internet browsing. And so you can sign up for that at cryptoandprivacy.com, cryptoandprivacy.com. And if you can't make the 15th and 16th, you'll get 30 days worth of replay after the fact if that doesn't work out for your schedule. You can also download a digital copy as well. We have that option so you can have it for posterity. So we'll be breaking down a lot of cool stuff. All right. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, Hawk, for, for running this little flock talk. These are great. Yeah, No problem. Thanks, John, for being here. All right. Y'all take care. Peace. So, Fredo, what about you, exchanges that you like? Again, the, the whole, like, decentralized thing is, like, crazy. Um, I, I really want to get into, like, I want to move a lot of my stuff onto something decentralized because it's definitely, I think, in in, the, in general, it's better if, you, if I can figure it out or if it's possible. But right now, I have uh, most of my... Um, funds in crypto.com okay i think is out of monaco so i don't know how much they're going to be regulated in the future but i'm going to try and get out of them because i know it's pretty centralized like pretty they like issue a credit card and they they have like a lot of funds under management yeah it's it's good like it's 
it, the only thing that bugs me is they don't have a desktop app. They just have a, a mobile thing. So I'm like, it kind of sucks, but they've been, they've been good so far. Um, I'm waiting for their credit card and I, yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. They have a lot of coins on their network. Um, do they have so, R and H bar and like, you know, it's, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think yeah. ones like that that are like, yeah, like they have good fundamentals, but they're like sketchy in the eyes of like an institution. Gotcha. Um, but they, they have lots. So I just basically look at worst performer. This, this is my investment strategy quickly. I look at worst performers and I'm like, all right, I'll buy a bunch and then hope it goes up. Basically just buying the dip over and over. Yeah. 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 That's cool. All right. So for <laughs> decentralized exchanges then, um, so there are a couple big ones that are well known. You've got Uniswap, which is, um, is essentially the Ethereum decentralized exchange. And the only coins that are really on there are ERC coins, whether it's ERC 20 or the other variations of their smart contract coins and security coins. There are some companies that I know, I just spoke with one that, that have a decentralized uh, securities exchange, but they're operating at a much higher um, institutional level. Right. Um, and they're mostly in it. They're, they're, they don't do the, the coin stuff. They're, they're like securitizing actual companies and uh, stocks and stuff. Exciting project, but for, for this discussion that, that would be germane to this discussion is like, you've got Uniswap, which is ERC, and that's on the Ethereum chain. Now, the problem with the ERC, uh, Uniswap situation is that you could switch $20 of ERC for $20 of Polkadot or something, and, uh, it would cost you 40 bucks, right? Because it's on the Ethereum chain and the gas fees are so astronomically out of this world right now. So what they've, that that's one and that's on the ERC chain or the Ethereum chain. The other one is on the what's called the Binance network or the Binance uh mainnet or the Binance chain and it's essentially like an Ethereum fork or Ethereum clone but that Binance the company has kind of built out as part of their media conglomeration or not media conglomeration but banking conglomeration. And um it's not centralized. It's uh it's the 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 network is in the same way that Ethereum is but the exchange is called pancake swap and you can get all kinds of different BEP tokens on there. And a lot of these ones like safe moon and safe rune and these kind of like quote unquote scam coins or shit coins, you can find them on there, but you can also find real good projects on there as well. Um, you know, you can find Matic on the uh, Ethereum chain and they are another layer and they have their own decentralized exchange on the, on the Ethereum network. But the way Matic works is kind of like what we were talking about earlier with, with, um, uh, hold on one second. Lightning network and they have an essential like layer that they add on top of the Ethereum network which mirrors the Ethereum network and eventually gets stored on the, all the data and transactions eventually gets stored on the Ethereum network. It just allows them to operate with higher security and higher transactional volume at a lower cost. So they're called Polygon and their exchange network is called QuickSwap. So those are three big decentralized exchanges. And again, these DEXs or DeFi networks are small inside the Bitcoin ecosystem, which is small in the global ecosystem. So you're talking about very specialized use cases and purposes here, but it's also the perfect environment for projects to be born in and 
you know, get their start essentially in the digital economic ecosystem. Like Firon, we have two coins. We have Fire tokens, which are both on Ethereum and on the, the Binance chain. So eventually you'll be able to get those coins from both PancakeSwap and, I'm sorry, from Uniswap and PancakeSwap. And the way those systems work is what John was touching on at the very last bit there about liquidity pools and staking. When you go to a centralized exchange and you want to trade Bitcoin for USDT, there are what's called market makers that provide a great deal of liquidity, hundreds of millions of dollars, let's say, to be able to manage a liquidity pool so that people can go from Bitcoin to USDT. They guarantee to purchase that Bitcoin no matter whether there's another seller available or not. They just do the trade on their behalf. Like, let's say, you know, you want to sell $100,000 worth of Bitcoin, but nobody's wanting to give their USDT for that Bitcoin. The market makers will step in and get that 100000 knowing that somebody else is going to come in with the USDT to do it. Uh, so the way that that happens on a DEX or a decentralized exchange is that people will set up market-making liquidity pools. They'll say, here's my Ethereum and here's my USDT, and I put 20000 of each. And then anytime a trade happens, there's liquidity to make that trade happen, whether or not that there's another buyer or seller on the other end. And they get paid a transaction fee for that, or a liquidity pool fee for that. And they usually have coins specific for that. Uh, on the, uh, on the, what was it? The, the Polygon Matic network, they pay you in Matic tokens, which are going up in price, right? And then on the, uh, Ethereum chain, they have Polkadot, um, yeah, dot, D-O-T. And then you get paid out in that. And then on the pancake swap, you get cake, right? You get paid out in these other tokens that also fluctuate in value, but you're getting paid for providing liquidity. And that's you just sitting, your, your coins are going up in value in the liquidity pool because you can always take out from there, right? So it's essentially like, here I've got $100,000 worth of coins, 50 in Ethereum, 50 in USDT, put it in there. And anytime a transaction happens, you're, you're helping facilitate that transaction by providing liquidity. And so you're getting paid out in Polkadot, your coins are still going up in there, and you're getting coins for it. So that's what liquidity and staking is. Um, that's not exactly what staking is, but it's along the same lines. But we're we're wrapping up here at the, the last couple seconds. So I think we've gone through everything from beginner stuff to some more advanced decentralized finance. Um, again, Firon is going to be launching very soon. We have minted the coins. We've set a good price. We've got a good market cap. Um, the whole network solves a lot of what we were talking about in here in terms of governance and decentralizing the decision-making process and also the profit-making process, whereby uh, we process your transactions like a bank would. You know, it's, you have your own custo- custody of the wallets like MetaMask. Oh, and that, that's another bit. MetaMask and Trust Wallet are some good decentralized finance uh, or DeFi wallet systems. Then they handle a variety of different kinds of coins. They can handle both uh Binance chain coins and Ethereum chain coins. And then you have all of your other wallets for ones like the the the, the classics, right? Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum and whatnot. So I think that kind of covers the gamut. Um Firon's gonna come in and be a decentralized bank, a cooperative or a credit union owned by everybody who's using it. Um, and as we process the transactions and generate profits, 
the membership will vote on how those profits are spent and in which way the company will grow. So that's that's sort of where where I see the biggest need in this whole ecosystem is is that governance system. So um, I hope you all got something out of this. If there anybody has any last questions, we're, we're going to give you the opportunity. Allison, I, I don't know if your audio is connected or if you're just listening, but if you do have a question, please do feel free to chime in. Fredo, Eric, anything? Keith? What's the what's the opportunity to buy into whatever you're talking about that that decentralized like self governance token? That yeah, that's about? it's called Phiron, P H I R E O N, and the Telegram is t dot me slash Phiron, P H I R E O N. You can also go to the website Phiron dot com. You can download our app on the Google Play Store and the Apple Store, and um, you know, start getting involved there. We're gonna announce the launch of the coin on the app first and there'll be discounts there for the people who are using the app already. Can you spell it again? I'm yeah. slow. That's okay. P H I R E O N as in Nancy. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you all for, for showing up and spending your time with us tonight. I, I hope, uh, Keith, that you've learned a whole bunch and, and can start moving around in the ecosystem. Fredo, we've given some, some, I hope some more flavor to all of the things that you're learning and, and working on. And Eric, dude, I appreciate you from just being from in the, in the system from 2013. You have a perspective that's, you know, very few still do, right? Like the, most of the folks are off doing other things now. So congrats and welcome. Yeah. $100 Bitcoin was. Something else. Yeah, yeah. I was in late at that point. I was, I, I was yep. like, oh no, it's a hundred dollars already. Shoot. Yep. <laughs> yep. Fun, not so fun fact. I would have, I would have over a hundred million dollars if I hadn't gotten hacked in 2015. And I would, I'd be, I'd be done. I'd, Firon would be in existence and it'd be a whole new world. And I don't know if, if the, the hacker that, that took it from me knew what I was up to. Um, but they really set the world back a whole number of years. So either way, here we are, a whole new future ahead of us. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Unloose the Goose, episode 39, What the Flock, with uh, Xavier Hawk and Sal Mayweather and J- uh, John Bush. Please do uh, join the Telegram at t.me slash unloose the goose. Um, if you're subscribing and listening to this on uh, on iTunes or any of the other podcast feeds, please do leave a comment and a uh testimonial and let us know what you think about the episodes and about the show in general thanks again and unloose the goose we'll take no